not what I expected. No, well, uh, I, I I was debating between that and the hey 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 it's Fat Albert. Okay, so I spared you. Thank you. I was also considering going with. Hey, what happened? <laughs> oh my! That's Fred Willard. So. Okay. Anyways, uh, let's get off of the silliness. But so we are here today to talk to, or talk about. I wish it was talk to. Maybe yeah, someday. Maybe talk about a legend of yacht rock that you have uh, labeled, I think correctly, as an unsung hero, and that is no other than Jerry Hayes. Yes, we're sailing around Cape Horn today, are we not? <laughs> oh, very nice. Yes, yes. That deserves one more ding. Ooh. All right. So, uh, yeah, Jerry yeah. Hay. So why? Let's discuss, first of all, why you consider him an unsung hero, and then we'll get into kind of his story and his contributions to the genre. Well, Yacht Rock is made up, as we've talked so much, of all these behind-the-scenes people in terms of session musicians that aren't the names on the front of the record, or we've talked about producers that, again, their name is on the back of the record jacket, not on the front, typically. But there's that next level, the the people that are like the arrangers that mm. don't even, I guess, the, they don't get as much talk as maybe like a Lukather or a Larry Carlton because they're soloists. And this is more of an arrangement thing. And um, I guess it's like next level deep cut. And Jerry Hay is easily the predominant horn arranger throughout the Yacht Rock era, without question. I think with. Absolutely without peer. There's a couple others that dabbled by mm-hmm. comparison. Tom Scott, for example, and uh, probably others. Um, but And I think of Tom Scott more as the player than the arranger. Yeah, well, he's kind of arranging his own stuff. He would right. multi-track his own sax yeah. parts, and then by virtue of that, he becomes the arranger. So would you say Marty Page is like a, a string analog to yeah. Jerry Hay, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's almost like a sub-genre or sub-domain of the Session Cat phenomenon is this whole, like... Now you've got a group, uh, like a, a secondary orchestrator, yeah, right. who's taken just a discrete part, and now he's got session cats, too, which we'll talk about. Yeah, he has very specific guys that he worked with. Uh, for the most part, he had the same hornfells. We talked about Bill Reichenbach, uh, trombone primarily, though he could play, apparently, according to Jay Graydon, he could play trumpet as well. Uh, Chuck Finley, mm-hmm. another lead trumpet player, and who am I missing? Gary Grant is Gary the other Grant. one that comes yep. to mind. Yeah. Yep. So Jerry Hay, then, does he appear, like, right at 1976, or does he have this, like, his, was he part of maybe the, um, what do you call it, the... Oh, the Wrecking Crew. Like, the Wrecking Crew, or what? what's his quote-unquote origin story, do you know? Well, I'd love to ask him that. Yeah. I'd love to get him on. My, what little knowledge I have of him prior to that is I know there was a band that was sort of a horn-heavy funk band called Sea Wind. Mm-hmm. And a few of those cats kind of stuck with him as he became part of the the whole yacht rock circuit and became a horn arranger. But they were a band out of Hawaii, of all places. So hmm. I don't know if he even comes from there originally. Uh, I suppose I could have looked that up. But um, I more was interested in how he became part of this whole Yacht Rock Circuit, how he became Quincy's guy. I mean, not yep. just Quincy's guy, but Foster's guy and Jay Graydon's guy. And um, I don't know that I discovered all the answers to that, but I did find out as I went through his stuff, he kind of he kind of takes on a few different personas as an arranger. He has multiple styles. The Sea Wind stuff seemed to be very aggressive, a lot of very high horn runs, a lot of very staccato, aggressive stuff. 
And then there's also this other side of him where he has arranged horns that are very sing-along and they become part of the chorus. So when you're mm. singing along, you sing the lyric and then you sing the horn line, kind of like a, a listening to a Chicago record where you sing along with the horn lines. Right. So he has these two completely different takes on the approach. And I would, I would love to know if, A, is that him deciding which way to go? Is he given the song and say, we want a horn arrangement, blank slate, do what you do? Yep. Or is he being told, well, I want something really aggressive, real powerful here or here. I want something that's much more, I need a counter melody to this chorus. What is he being asked to do? Mm. Would be a question I would have for him. Yeah. I'm guessing, I mean, I would guess that he's sort of given the reins again as like sub producer. You tell us what you think the arrangements should be, but I have no idea, but let's get him on and ask him. Yeah, he ended up doing a lot of um, arranging later on, obviously probably through the Foster connection with Earth, Wind and Fire. Because mm-hmm. if you, the question comes up, who are the great horn groups of the era? People immediately will say Chicago. Yep. Some people will say Blood, Sweat and Tears, though that's a little earlier. Um, people will bring up Tower of Power, or they'll say the Earth, Wind, and Fire horns. Those are kind of the ones that get the glory. Um, And when it comes to the Earth, Wind, and Fire horns, little do we know that Jerry Hay (laughs) became essentially that in their later part of their career. I did not know that. Well, so speaking of glory, we're talking about a guy who is in the background but has five Grammy Awards to his name, spanning from the years, looks like, 81 to 91. So yeah, from yacht to yacht. A virtual cornucopia of uh, Grammy Awards there. You know what cornucopia also means, right? Uh, no. Horn of plenty. Oh. So let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 1981, he got, uh, this is working with George Benson, and there's an instrumental, Denora Denora, so he got... Uh, Arrangement uh, Grammy for that with Quincy, yeah, with Quincy. Also with Quincy off of the uh, the Dude album, 1982, best instrumental arrangement accompanying a vocal for I Know Corita, and that just rips. Yes, yes, that actually was part of the reason <laughs> that that made the uh, uh, buried treasure way back when. Way when back. I brought it out. I oh, heard yeah. that song. I was like, whoa, yeah, those are blazing. Yeah, yeah. horns of plenty, as you have uh, yeah. mentioned. Cornucopia. Yep. Uh, of course, he won as part of one of the arrangers on Rosanna, and we have that signature horn riff that uh, goes into the chorus. Which he shares that Grammy, it looks like, with David Page and Jeff Picard. Yeah, they would have been the total arrangers. Uh, let's see, what do we got? 1984, he was apparently involved in the actual film score for Flashdance, so hmm. he got a Grammy for that. Listen to how yachty this personnel is, though. Oh, yeah. Also appearing, Michael Boddicker, mm-hmm. Irene Cara, is she on the boat? I don't know. I don't think so. Kim Carnes is Nyat, but a big name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Ramone. Right. Michael Sambello. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. just a few yachty personnel. That was 84. 84. So that was like, like the transition, as we've talked about, from yacht to like some of the sounds on that Flashdance record are harsh. Giorgio Moroder, you know, the <laughs> synth disco influence, yes. right? Yeah. 1991 then. This one I did not know. Um, still working with Quincy that he had um, a Grammy for an arrangement of Birdland. First of all, I never knew that Quincy did a version of Birdland. This is all new to me, 1991. But uh yeah, Jerry Hay, Quincy Jones, Ian Prince, and Rod Temperton were the arrangers for Birdland as performed by Quincy Jones. Yes. And so not named for uh, winning a Grammy, but as we're going to talk about later, also appeared on the Thriller record, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Which is one of the most iconic records of all time and certainly of that era. 
Yeah, and we're also going to get to a couple other songs. We're going to focus on some of his more, what we consider, iconic examples of what Jerry Hay brings to the party. And as I'm looking at our list of cuts, one of them is another Grammy winner, which was not, uh, he didn't win it because it, it wasn't an arrangement Grammy, but there's another Grammy award-winning song coming up. So he is deep in the trenches when it comes to Grammy music production. Okay, and I see eleven nominations. So in addition to the six that we <laughs> we read, uh, so eleven time loser. Wow, yeah, it's tough. I'd love to be an eleven time well, loser. I guess what six time loser, five time winner. Yeah, so he's almost hitting five hundred. You can get in the Hall of Fame that way. Absolutely, he should be. Yeah, when we talk, I mean, he's in the Yacht Rock Hall of Fame. Should be. But uh, just a real quick, a name that yeah. keeps coming up onto like lapping onto the shores of <laughs> the harbor is this Lisa Stansfield, right? Oh, so she's worked with the Young Gun Silver Fox. Uh-huh. She did a version, I think, produced by the Young Gun of Players' Baby Come Back. That's right. And Jerry Hay co-produced four songs on Lisa Stansfield's 2014 album. No so, kidding. So, yeah. Is there as recent as 2014? Yeah, absolutely. Dang. Wow, cool. I had no idea of that. Yeah, so a man of many talents or uh, horns of plenty. Yes. Did we already use that one? I think so. All right. And then the discography, too. Just go to Wikipedia's page. It just goes on and on and on and on. Any idea what the number is of how many appearances? Uh, would you guess? Do they give you a digits? total number? No, I don't see it. Okay. No, I, yeah, I was going to guess several hundred. So. Yeah. Yeah. So when we think about what a horn arranger does, you know, I going back to my question before, what was he asked to do? So to kind of encapsulize what it is, is that an arranger will be often given a song that it's in most cases does not have any indicators for horn line. So you're probably getting a rough demo that probably has a basic rhythm arrangement and has some sort of melody on it, whether it's the actual final vocal or not. And then you're asked to create this horn arrangement. And I just wonder how you go from that point to creating some of these absolutely (laughs) iconic melodies. What you're tasked with doing is coming up with something that enhances the song enhances the lead vocal, but does not step on the lead vocal. Because everything that we're talking about in Yacht Rock is meant to service the song, service the lead vocal. That is the feature. Anything that takes away from that, a good producer should recognize and set aside. That said, Jerry Hayes' horns do not just, quote, stay out of the way. Mm. He has this magical ability of writing something that perks your ears, that has massive impact on the song, that stands alone in its own quality, yet still manages to not step on the lead vocal. If anything, it enhances it. Yeah. And that is absolutely magical to be able to do. Which we'll examine in, in detail because some of the clips that we have are like quintessential um, it's and it's not even call and answer. It is staying out of the way. It, yeah, it is. It's answering, but you're right. It's not a call. Typically, a call and answer means a melodic instrument, a vocal, makes a statement, and then the answer replies that statement back, maybe in a slightly varied yeah. form. But the two are related. This is much different than you know A and A minus. Come you know going right. back and forth. Yep. You know. And it, what's interesting too about his arrangements and his talent is that it, I've heard Lukather cynically, somewhat cynically, say that. Uh, can you imagine Steve Lukather being, being cynical? cynical? No, right. no, no. You must have just caught him on a bad day. I must have. So uh, it was in one of the documentaries, and and people were asking him what session 
what what did they contribute to the song? Should they get royalties? Something like that. And he's like, well, you bring us in at the last minute to save a song. You don't think we deserve like yeah. some sort of credit for that? Yeah. And so I don't know. I can't say with confidence that Jerry Hay saves songs, but I know some of his arrangements make songs. And I'm when we segue into clips, I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean. Okay. Well, I think we can do that. So let's start with what I th- is the perfect example of what I just said, and probably the most obvious to the layperson who just doesn't even know Yacht Rock that well, and that's George Benson's Turn Your Love Around. Turn your love around. Don't you turn me down. I can show you how. Turn your love around. So back to the statement I just made. Would that song be that song without the horn melody lines that he wrote? It's a tough question. Uh, I can only answer that by saying that this is one of those examples that you sing, turn your love around, then you go ba da ba 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 da ba Absolutely. The, the two go together, and this is where the horns are not staying out of the way. They're not just answering the melody. They've, they're their own counter melody in that empty space. It's the perfect... The, the perfect blend, I guess you could say. Sometimes I only sing the horns there. Because, oh, yeah. You know, somebody else in the car singing the melody. I just want to... Da, da, well, da, da, da. At, at your age, when you can't remember the words, <laughs> right. you might as well just sing the horn parts. What words are we talking about? But that is... So if you... You need an example of what did Jerry Hay contribute to the Yacht Rock yeah. sort of sphere. That's the perfect example. Super well, ex- and that song is a Grammy winner. When we talked about that, it wasn't a winner for the arrangement. It was a winner for the songwriting or the song production. But going back to your original point, would it have been a Grammy Award winner without the horns? I mean, I, I, I have a hard time separating the chorus melody from the horns. To me, they're all one. They belong together. Well, try to imagine. Sing the song in your head right now without you the horns. You couldn't do it. <laughs> it's impossible. You do it. You exactly. Not. So I don't know if he saved the song, but that horn section definitely makes the song. And that's an example of something that is so highly melodic. It's a hook in and of itself, which kind of takes us into the next one, which is another George Benson tune. Again, um, when these were released, George was putting out a two-record set, Best Of. If you recall, uh, Jay Graydon was tasked with the job of producing two new songs to go with that compilation. Turn Your Love Around was the first one. The second one was Never Give Up on a Good Thing, which was also a hit. And so we're going to play a little portion of that. And again, listen to the way the chorus melody is sung, and then it's the perfect horn answer to that. We'll hit that part first. Never give up on the good thing. So similar in phrasing to Turn Your Love Around, where there's the establish the vocal line melody, and then it's this, I don't even count them, it's an additional melody yeah. that hooks you as well. So now they got you coming and going. And I would challenge you to sing that chorus without singing the horn line too. Absolutely. There's no, there's no way you can do it. I do know the words to the horns part of yeah. these songs. But da 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 da. Yeah, but, I do know that. But da 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 da. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. Well, then he, um, one of the other things that he has done a lot is that it was very common back then. We've got a couple examples for these breakdown kind of percussion comes up, hand claps come up, big party atmosphere happens. It's this breakdown with drums and vocal. And uh, 
the horn stabs that he pops in there are just, again, perfect the way they work against the vocal. Check it out. Now, that's not a case of something that you sing along with, but it's the perfect answer vocals. That, that's a call and answer yes. example right well, there. And what I love about that example is, can we play it again? Listen to how much space he leaves in this case. There's actual space that he could have filled with horns, but he just does, as you call them, what you call them? Uh, uh, the stabs. Stabs. Yeah. I call them stingers sometimes. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. enough, and then let the air breathe. So let's play it one more time. Just listen to how much space Jerry Hay, the arranger, says, I don't need to put a note there. Well, he's got to let the percussion play. You know, he's allowing everybody else to play. But you know, see, that's one stab, don't, one stab, give, give up, up, two stabs. Two so stab. that's a perfect example of what call and answer would look like. So he's showing us both of those in the one song. One thing that just goes without saying, but I don't think it should go without saying, Say is it. how perfect, like everything in Yacht Rock, how perfect the tone is on this brass. Yeah. It's different than the tone that you get in the mix of a Chicago song. Which is also good, but everything is super crisp and clear, and it's just that perfect brass to add to yacht rock. And the intonation is so perfect too. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if it's him that's on the high trumpet, or if it's one of the other guys, or if they they trade. They're probably all capable um, because there's some things that we'll get to a little bit later where he really explores the super high end of the register. I, I wonder if he was a um, a fan of someone like a Maynard Ferguson or somebody yeah. who took some influence from that. Plus how tight, too, all of the parts are together in terms of when they hit the note, how long they hold the note, like all the stuff you could fix today and quantizing and editing yeah. and all that stuff, but they didn't have back then, and it still sounds per- – it almost sounds so good it sounds like synth. Yeah, I know. It's just amazing. It's Well, that's a good transition to the next little bit because he, uh, again, still working with Quincy, and this is – a Michael Jackson reference, and we're going to look at a breakdown section, a similar breakdown section to what we looked at just now and never give up on a good thing. And this is the breakdown of Wannabe starting something. And you, you'll see that he kind of brings a little bit of a variation on what he was doing there with George Benson. A lot more aggressive here. Notice the how, going to your point, how tight and staccato these things are. And there's the, the high register of the trumpet, and he's just ripping. Check this out. I mean, saying so much, which is like two notes at a time. Come on, man. Uh, but that little staccato run they do, too. Oh, the one they're at all the tight. End. There's yeah, no, yeah. like, bleed over. There's no waste. It's like, these guys are tight. Man. Unbelievable. <laughs> I had this one thing that was sent to me a long, long time ago. It's been sitting in a folder on my desktop, and I wasn't sure how to use it. I think I got it, like, maybe after the first one or two episodes that we did, when somebody knew that we were doing this Yacht Rock podcast, they said, you got to play this. Somehow you got to work this in. I've gone back searching the internet. I can't find it, so I don't know where this originally came from, but... Sounds like it's hot from the dark web. Uh, it, it might be underground. Uh, is this going to get me in trouble? Yes. Okay. Then, only you. All right. We are a limited liability corporation. Yes. Um, this is clearly, by the sound of the fidelity, a cassette 
kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, going back to how these arrangements took place. So this is a Quincy thing, Michael Jackson. Did Quincy say, I want this, or is this Jerry Hayes saying, I got this idea and I'm presenting it to you on cassette? Because what he's done here is he's taken from uh, Michael Jackson's uh, Working Day and Night. So this is from the Off the Wall album, mm, previous okay. album to yep. Thriller. And he's taken a section of it where it sounds like they've already built in these horn stabs, similar to what we were just looking at. But then all of a sudden the band goes away and we hear just the horns by themselves. So it's almost like he had this idea for this horn interplay thing, and he just hard edited it into the demo that he had. Because you'll hear it change. But when you want to talk about staccato, precision, uh, aggressive ranging, all of those things... Wait till you hear the, just the syncopation and the way that the, the horns are playing off each other. We're, we've been listening to horns play in unison. Mm-hmm. Where they're all playing the line together. Yep. <laughs> this is an entirely different animal. Let, now listen to this. Let it roll. Smoking. I have no idea how you would even chart that out. And you know who could do it is Jay Graydon. Yeah, he probably he could. would do it on an airplane ride. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> for as he fun. Says. <laughs> you know what I heard in there? I don't know if it's my bad ears, probably my bad um, music theory, probably, yeah, or just the recording. It sounded like there was a baritone sax that was only playing here and there, not the entire line, but coming in and out, in and out. Yeah, so it's like super staccato and super syncopated. I don't know how you hit each one of those accurately. Right, you know, I know. You're just poking, poking, poking. But yeah, it's very, there's like very, sounds like, like a couple of tenors. So it's very sax, low sax yeah. uh, driven. And then, of course, up top, there's the staccato horns against it, syncopated. I, I don't know how they managed to play that. And that was just for a demo. Well, we couldn't uh, have a talk about uh, iconic horn phrasing. In the yacht rock genre, without talking about this song. That's one of those we've talked. I've talked about that. I've just how amazing that huge run is up and down, and then all comes together on this huge accent to set up the course. which is on an offbeat. Of course, on an offbeat, yeah. and it all works in with the drum fill as well. Yeah, I keep, that's one I keep trying to figure out. Exactly who's playing what, like the drums relative to the horns, and there's so much going on, I can't pinpoint it. But. In a lot of ways, the, the horns are a little more understated on that song other than that run. Yeah. They accent yeah. some things, but they're not really blowing your head off until that. Yes. And then it's just like ambush. So do you know, off, who are the players on that? Offhand, I don't know, but I would be willing to bet um, – that it's the Reichenbach, Grant, and Finley. Should we look that I up know real that quick? they had a short association with James Pankow, but I think that came later on the seventh one. So here are the guest musicians. We've got Tom Scott, Jim Horn, Gary Grant, and of course Jerry Hay, and James Pankow. So he is in there. He is okay. in there, exactly. Mm-hmm. So 
Interesting. Couldn't get anybody. No. Jeez. Yeah, rough. We'll settle for this B list. So that kind of concludes the uh, Quincy. Well, I guess the Toto was not Quincy related. We had a lot of Quincy stuff, but of course, Jay Graydon was a vast fan of Jerry Hay and the Boys, as we call him. And we had covered in the our hey Jay hey Graydon. Kids. Is that what the Hey Hey Kids? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey Hey Mama. So the way you move. Yeah. Uh, we covered the song Love is Real, if you recall, back mm-hmm. when we talked to Jay Graydon because we wanted to know how that came about. And as it turns out, in that situation, he was asked, Specifically, Jay Graydon had had uh, Al Jarreau scat a solo, and he took takes from different ones and comped together his favorites, and that became the final scat take. And then he handed that off to Jerry Hay and said, I want you to arrange horns to this. And that was an amazing listen. Somebody had to then chart that. Mm-hmm. Was it uh, Graydon himself or did Jerry Hay chart that, the scatting, so that they could actually play it? He said that Jerry did, but there was yeah. something else in there. We'd almost had to go to the tape. It had something to do with the Bill Reichenbach, the trombone player, is in there. And if I recall, Jay said something that he played. What well, you you wouldn't think a trombone could play it because of the quickness and the articulation and in the upper register. He thought that maybe he was playing it on a valve trombone or mm. some maybe a flugelhorn or whatever. But apparently, according to Jerry Hay, he told Jay, "No, that's Bill playing it on trombone," which you would think, as Jay said, was impossible. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. All right, so let's stick within the uh, Algero theme. Well, I'm going to tie this one back to "Turn Your Love Around." This is very similar. Um, Al Jarreau's Boogie Down. You cannot sing this chorus without singing the horns. <laughs> I can be what I want to and all I need is to get my boogie down. I can be what I want to and all I need is to get my boogie down. So after making those clear statements, which are just perfect <laughs> against that vocal, he... In the tradition of Yacht Rock, <laughs> save something killer for the fade out. Here we go. I just love that. That You talk about precision. Oh, my Man. God. I want to have him on, too, to just ask, again, how many takes are we talking about for this? Yeah. It's incredible. Were they all in a room, or were they all layered? Do you have any idea how that was recorded? My guess is in a room together. Unbelievable. I would think. Oh, my God. It's the best way to get good intonation is to play together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, again, one guy screws up and the take's out. Well, that's true, but I don't think they screwed up very often. <laughs> that's going back to my first question. How many takes? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, while we're on the topic of just virtuosity, 
Um, you found the dealer <laughs> track. This track's called Black and Blues. What album is this? This is Jake Graydon producing again. Yeah, this is off the same album as Boogie Down. So it's okay. just called Jero 1984, maybe something like that. But what I the reason I grabbed this one is because one of the things that Jerry Hay is also known for are what I always call these Jerry Hay horn runs, where they just run from low up into the screaming register super fast. And this is a definitive Jerry Hay horn rip right here. But we're going to let it play through because there's a couple extra nuggets that we're going to touch on later. Another stinger right yeah. into another iconic feature of Yacht Rock in the Wire Choir. The Wire Choir. Ooh. Yeah. The Wire Choir is quickly making a run at the uh, palm mutes in my heart for a uh, favorite guitar sound of Yacht Ooh, Rock. Ooh, interesting. Well, I've got a little Wire Choir saved in my uh, my lightning round uh, file. Not for this week, but I'm okay. going to have to ask you a question regarding that. Ooh. Coming up, that's a tease, by Ooh, the way. yes. Which episode's going to be in? I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, maybe do, we'll grab one more track. We'll stick within the Jiro, um, because it's one of my. This was one of my late discoveries in my yacht rock journey. Was mm-hmm. this tune by Jiro, and it's become one of my favorites, almost up there with like the quote unquote hits. And that's this tune, "Distracted." Got another one of those uh, Jerry Hayhorn rips. Is the definition of crescendo and release. It yeah. just builds, it builds in this huge moment, and then it comes back down and starts grooving, and then it starts kind of building slowly again. Yeah, well, we got to rewind that back and focus on what the drums are doing leading into the last chorus, though. Okay, during the cres- or post crescendo? Post crescendo, pre final chorus. Sort of your entry level, Jerry Hay, right? Yeah, right. That is what uh, mostly hits, mostly. mostly hits, but it's not ultimate Jerry Hay. No, but somebody did the hard work. Somebody else put together a YouTube video. It was entitled something along the lines of uh, uh, that time, those times when Jerry Hay went beast mode that you forgot about, or something like <laughs> that. And he strung together some of the greatest of the great most aggressive, crazy horn stuff that Jerry Hay did. And I picked a couple of snippets out of that, but I think we should link to that whole video in our show notes. We'll do. Yeah. Where do you want to start on this one? You take it. No, you're going to take me on a tour through Jerry Hay Beast Boat, if you wouldn't mind. Down through uh, the the Horn of uh, Good Hope. This is going to (laughs) be like a a mini lightning round, because we're going to go through these fairly quickly. We're going to go to his original band, Sea Wind. All right. And this is from 1995. They kind of got back together, put a compilation together, from what I understand. Whether this was a new track, I don't know. But there's some massive horn stuff on Can't Wait. 
my gosh, going back to uh, Maynard Ferguson register there. Oh. All right, this was somebody called T-Square. Are you familiar with T-Square? Uh, I know T-Pain. I okay. don't know T-Square. So there's going to be auto-tune on this, I presume? Uh, no, this is T-Square. Oh, this is T-Square. Yes. Uh, from an album called Refreshest. And this is a song called Chaser. Some sort of hard jam rock going on, and then Hayes and his guys are just in a whole different octave. <laughs> They're in, off in outer space, man. Can you imagine what uh, the session cats thought the first time they saw the chart? <laughs> like, wait, what? You spilled crap all over this with this coffee and stuff. No kidding. Oh, if that's Chaser, I want to oh. know what the shot was. Woo. Yeah. Woo. All right. Well, we talked about his association with Earth, Earth Wind, and Fire. So this is uh, Let Your Feelings Show. Just the interchange with the strings there. I wonder if he did string arranging on that, too, because he has done that. Yeah, that's true. The way the horns answer that. We're going to hit that one more time. All right, hit it. I swear, I'm today years old. When I found out that Jerry Hay was doing this for Earth with a Fire, I thought they were their own <laughs> insular thing. Man. I'll bet your days uh, today years old when you learned that uh, he did horn arrangement for the tubes, especially a song called Wild Women of Wongo. even know how you chart that come on (laughs) i was actually tonight years old that i learned that he was working with the tubes (sighs) man well his stuff was um it became such a big deal that uh i remember i had a a, bought a keyboard back in this is probably the 90s maybe it was early sampling keyboard where some of the sounds were sampled and um they all all those keyboards back then would have some sort of preloaded demo so you could put it in demo mode in the store and they would play and it would sound amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, all the effects and everything. They on all it. seem, yeah, exactly. And they all seem to have this amazing horn run in it. And I think this was taken from Jerry Hay because I find Jerry Hay credited on these songs and they all have this horn riff in common where you could hold down one key and it would play this whole horn riff. And then you hold down the next key a little higher and it plays it a little higher and a little faster. Really? And I found I know of at least three places where it shows up. So it shows up in uh, Lee Rittenauer's Just Tell Me Pretty Lies. Shows up on Earth, Wind & Fire, a song called Let Me Talk. And another Earth, Wind & Fire song called Fall In Love With Me. So he became so iconic that they loaded his phrase samples into these keyboards. I think it was a Yamaha keyboard. I'm really working from distant memory Mm. there. Well, you know you've made it when uh, you've been sampled. Yeah, true. Well, how did you like that? (laughs) 
<laughs> I liked it more than I thought I would. I think I got to hit the head and empty the bilge. <laughs> <laughs> I just I need like a break or something. Yeah, it's, it's hard to breathe when you're listening to that stuff. Oh, it's so high intensity, isn't it? Yeah, it's energizing. Yeah. So, yeah. A staple of Yacht Rock, we owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Jerry Hay and all of his contributions to this wonderful genre that we love. But all good things must come to an end. Yeah, I think that it's time probably to move on. Before we move on to the lightning round, though, we wanted to mention that we are launching a new idea of the viewer mail grab bag episode. We occasionally get people that send us songs. Well, hold on there. We're going to do what you call a tease. All right. That's the tease. That was the tease? Yes. I didn't even finish. You have to stand by through the lightning round to get details. All right. All new crowd participation opportunity coming up after the lightning round. Cue the sound effect. All right. Well, it's lightning round it is. You know, lightning is not good for boaters. No, it's not. There is a sailor's warning, though. That's true. All right. The red flag's up. Yep. Uh, My lightning round is going to be highly unorthodox. I'm just warning you. Okay. Highly unorthodox. Okay. So do you want me to start or do you want to set the standard and I'll veer from it? Uh, All right. I'll set the standard. Okay. Because mine comes with a little bit of a question. It's a question I can't answer. But um, since we were so much of the Jerry Hayes stuff we focused on had uh, Quincy as producer, I just went with a Quincy song that had been sitting in my to-do list to play for you regarding uh, does it float your boat. So the question is, it's certainly I'm sure it's going to float your boat in terms of quality and all that stuff. But the question, the most difficult question of all in Yacht Rock, it seems, for people, is finding the line between where does middle-of-the-road R&B begin and where does Yacht Rock end. Tell me what you think about this one. Patty Austin, Do You Love Me, from 1981. So the question is, do I think it veers too far to the R&B side to yeah. be Yacht Rock? Kind of. Mm. That was my first impression. But there's something about the guitars that lead there, and then yeah. there's some plucky pluckies that bring it back to the boat. Yeah, and those are Lukather. Oh, well, now you do. And Lewis Johnson, J.R. Robinson, James Ingram is on backups, as we said, produced by Quincy. We got Foster, Phil and Gaines, and Boddicker on keys because they, I uh. guess, couldn't decide who. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They couldn't get anyone good, so they just split it. Um well, when you give me personnel, I know that shouldn't be my deciding factor, but it's going to be. Okay. That floats my boat. All right, Mr. Unorthodox. This is highly unorthodox. I know. So, a couple weeks ago, I texted you and I said, hmm, I'm discovering the catalog of the Blow Monkeys. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, people remember Blow Monkeys. At least in the U.S., they had a hit, mm-hmm. um, most famous for Digging Your Scene. Yep. Right? Yep. Um Turns out that's not even their most spun song on Spotify. So, and I know they've stayed popular in Europe, in the UK, totally off my radar. Yeah. But, so I'm like, I'm just going to see what else is out there. And I get all the way up to the year 2017, and then even beyond 2021, and I feel like their sound is taking on this modern yacht rock type of vibe. Kind of. So I sent it to you. Yeah. So my question is: Is late stage Blow Monkeys? Not does it float your boat that it's a yacht rock, because it's obviously not. Does it float your boat that it could be considered modern yacht? Let me play a little tune for you, 
or for the listeners, and they can decide as you're deciding. Here is from the 2017 album, okay. the first track, which is Crying for the Moon. I don't know, I don't know. Can I ever change my tune? Crying for the moon It's my favorite song And I can't stop thinking Why don't you give it to me Why don't um, you give it to me That is a yacht rock Right, right Is it give you any modern yacht vibes? It's got some pieces there Because the drums are kind of shuffling There's a mm-hmm. uh, little... The occasion of the plucky guitar and the the sax and all that, I might be guilty of just knowing too much of where they came from, mm-hmm. and my ear still associates it much more closely to a new romantic sound. So if there's a term for modern new romantic, <laughs> I would say yeah, but I could certainly see the connection. We've always thought there are some subtle connections between those two, but this sounds decidedly Brit to me, which yeah. isn't to say Brits haven't made Yacht Rock, right? but it, it sounds like that to me. But that's a still, it's a really good pick. The reason I bring it up in a Jerry Hay context is what I was most impressed with listening to, the, like, again, the most recent Blow Monkeys you could find, is how much care and dedication they take to making a song complex. They're not just mailing in some tunes and r- throwing a rough mix. They have horns, right. whether they're sampled or not, I don't know, but they sound really, real to me. They sound real to me. That sax obviously is real. Yeah. Uh, but you'll see, you'll hear some Jerry Hay horn arrangements, not yeah. for real, but like allusions to it. And so that's why that, those two albums in particular are worth exploring. 2017, 2021. Very good. Highly unorthodox. Yes. Let me continue with the highly unorthodox. Yes. Um, sp- Jerry Hay Horns, which you are a fan of, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got a new release coming out called Page 99. The album is called For Imagination's Sake. And I've heard a pre-release of this thing, and it's going to be lit and fire and all this. I really think I might be better than the first one. Ooh. Um, so, we'll let you pick. What song on this, uh, play a little snippet of a song that might have some Jerry Hay-inspired horns, sir. Ooh. I don't want to be your lifeline. Buried treasure because it's not out yet. It still hasn't been unearthed, so that's why it's a buried. It's treasure. coming June twenty fourth, and I'm telling June twenty fourth. Yeah, there's going to be a pre release on the tenth. Ooh, goody! Do we get to talk about that on the podcast? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. What do you got? Well, my buried treasure is a little more orthodox than that. Well, if it's not highly unorthodox, it's less orthodox. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or it's, more. It's, so. it's medium unorthodox. This is one that's kind of become a big favorite of our household. Um, it's 2006, so it probably could easily be off the map, but it is Donald Fagan, so it connects very closely. From his solo album, Morph the Cat, uh, he wrote a song about 
uh, a woman that a woman that was in prison and she was there for eight months and she spent the whole time in there writing songs and waiting until she could get out so she could put her all chick band together and hit the town. And this is Donald Fagan's H Gang. So we haven't featured any Fagan in a while, so yeah. I wanted to throw that one in there. You've become something of a sucker for his bizarre uh, lyrics. I know, they're so funny. <laughs> this one's actually somewhat tame because you can make sense out of it. Yeah. Is your off-the-map orthodox or unorthodox? It's actually extremely unorthodox. Oh, jeez. But you're allowed to be an uh, off-the-map. Well, you set the precedent here, so... Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to do it anyway. I was going to change my mind, but now I'm sticking with it. Remember back when we did the... Asia, Steely Dan Asia album, and we spent a lot of time on that solo section on Asia. And mm-hmm. I'm going to revisit that really quick. Remember this with the drum hits and the dr- sort of drum solo with the hits and all that stuff? Remember this? Jog by memory. Okay, we raved about that. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm going to play you something from Prince from 1995. And I'm not asking or even claiming this is Yachty. But if we're going to talk about hits and drum solo and how the drummer manages to hit all the hits, this is almost right there in the right in that same wheelhouse. This is called Shh. Even Steve Gadd would listen to that and say, well done, hmm. sir. Is that Prince on drums? No, that would be uh, whoever's drummer was at the time. Okay. Power Generation. Okay. Well, incidentally, um, I just made a huge playlist called The Lost Prince. Uh-huh. That's on it. It's all the stuff that either was never huge back in the day or that happened since you stopped paying attention to Prince, which, right. which, and I, which I did and I shouldn't have. Because there is, you want to talk about buried treasures. Ooh, replete, sir. Replete. Ooh, replete. Yes. Um, all right. That's highly unorthodox. I like how you tied it back to the <laughs> Asia thing, though. I had quite some this. orthodoxy back in. This is uh, highly unorthodox. Okay. The final off the map, which yes. is you posted in Facebook, um, you asked people, what do you listen to when you're sort of veering out of the harbor that you feel is kind of loosely connected? It felt like most of the responses were some version of Sophista Pop, New Romantic, Brit Rock, whatever it was, yeah. uh, which got me onto that Blow Monkeys thing in the first place. Oh. But it also took me to another shore, and that is, remember the band Breathe? I do. They had uh, a couple hits with Hands to Heaven and How Can I Fall. Right. But I didn't realize how good the rest of the stuff was. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back and listen to that album, you're also going to hear some Jerry Hay-inspired, I don't know if inspired, but certainly in the realm of what Jerry Hay might do, but you're going to hear it on some, you know, what would you call that, Sophistapop? 
Definitely. New, another new romantic. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I was just blown away. Go, they have two albums. One was, I think, 88 or 89. The other one was 91. Both are well worth your time. So I'm going to just pick a song off of it. And uh, we'll, we'll start with this one. Any Trick by Breeze. Late '80s, uh, they weren't all bad. No, Man. no. That I mean, trust me. Do yourself a favor. Oh, listen to that you. whole record. Okay, you shouldn't trust me, but the other listeners, they should. All right. Well, yeah, that's it for the lightning round. Let's get on to the tease. So, you mentioned something earlier. I've already forgot what it was. Could you start <laughs> over? <laughs> well, you cut me off. I mean, geez, I had to. I, I had to get people to listen to the end of the podcast. I see. I see. Well, we're launching this idea for future episodes called the viewer mail grab bag and we may come up with some yachtier name than that but we often get people sending us songs that uh, they think are yachty or nyadi or just like to get our response on and we recently did a song focus on ambrosia's biggest part of me and that got me thinking mm-hmm. that there's a lot of different ways that we can approach when somebody sends us a song. We know the OGs, they were scoring them based on yachtiness. But sometimes people just want to get your thoughts mm-hmm. or or maybe here's a song that we would I'd like to hear you guys break down for us. Mm. You know, go through it, tell us what you hear, analyze it, maybe if they want some theory added to it, whatever it is. If there's a song that you think is interesting to hear us talk about, whether you want us to break it down or comment on its yachtiness, whatever you want. Send it to us. Okay. Uh, we're uh, yachtrockpod at gmail.com, or you can find us on the Facebook page. You can messenger us that way. And we're going to compile a list, and we're going to do an episode of entirely viewer mail, unless we come up with a better title than that. Question. Yes. Does it need to be relegated simply to a song commentary, or could it be more of a ask me anything type of I like the Ask Me Anything. Okay. It can. And it doesn't have to be Yachty. I okay. like it to be era connected, yep. but it doesn't have to be Yachty. It doesn't have to be 76 to 84. Just okay. you know what we talk about. If you listen to the show, you know what we're into. Yep. All right. And then, so how quickly are we looking to do this? I would say people send your mails and letters and everything else, tweets and faxes ASAP, Smoke right? signals, we receive those as well. So ASAP. Yeah. Well, a message in a bottle is a good way to reach us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that there's a deadline because I think this could be an ongoing thing. We'll the collect sooner the, the better, though. Yes. So, again, just a review. Ask us anything. It right. can be song-related or not. You're going to send these either by email, which is yachtrockpod at gmail.com. Or you can uh, fill out the form on our website, which is yachtrockpodcast.com. You can go to the Facebook page and either direct message us or... What, can they leave a comment or put something on our board? I suppose. You could tweet us. Uh, we are at Yacht Rock Pod. Uh, and, of course, we mentioned facts and um, <laughs> facts. message in a bottle. <laughs> so if you want to make sure that your question or comment or whatever gets to the top of the list, make sure you hashtag it. Ahoy polloi. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> 